Hello. Oh, oh it's on 10% now. 10%. Yeah. Jesus. Oh. Uh, you don't know what we're referring to, do you, listener? No. We're referring to my laptop, which you'll probably notice we're not using. Are we, Hamdan? We no. wanted to. No, we're not. My laptop is in the back seat. I'm in the front, as is Hamdan. Right. Yeah, my co-host. You should be hosting this one. Why am I talking? Uh, hang on, let me, let me double check. Is your... No, it's your choice of song. So yeah, I am hosting. Hi. Hi, hello, and welcome to A View From The Windscreen. Um, I'm your host, Hamdan, and this with me, alongside me is George. Hello. And um, we are in episode seven, I believe. Seven, yes. Uh, of, uh, of, of, of you, A View From The Windscreen. And um, I'll be honest with you, we've seen better days. Because um, right before we decided to meet up, George... Uh, well, I, very innocently, I'll, I'll explain what happened. Yeah, I very innocently, just before I left the house, just turned on my new laptop, which I haven't been using. I've still been using the old one, like milking it for all it's worth. Uh, I just turned on the old, the new one, just to check that it were, it had sufficient battery on it, and it decided, without my permission, that it wanted to do some updates. Yeah. Now it's cleaning. It's cleaning up. It has taken forever. God knows what it's cleaning. Um, we had a debate about what George was watching, so that it had to clean up. The cleanup took so long, but um, I think uh, we, we, if we want to talk about it, we'd probably just keep it short because it could uh, the, be. The, if we if we mention the things that we mentioned prior to recording, the police would be around my house and yours. Yeah, more, mine more so because because of the the uh, the colour of your skin. Yeah, that's one yes. way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we are. Where are we, Hamda? We are. So okay, we are in a um, in a car park, a new car park in uh, the city centre uh, of Birmingham. The old car park, as we mentioned last time, has been knocked down. So we are. We had to sort of, you know, say, you know, when life gives you lemons, you uh, find apples, and this is our apple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when life gives you apples, uh, when you apples. When life gives you apples, fine lemons. There we yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Um, you can tell how flustered we are by the fact that we've... <laughs> and it's so hot in here as well. It's st- we are steamed up to all heck. But we can't we can't turn down the the, uh, the windows because people will hear us. Yes. And, and we'll hear them. And we That can't happen, can it? No. 44% now. 44%. 47. Oh, okay. Mate, I, my balls are tingling. <laughs> well, uh... So you may have heard uh, the last podcast. This might actually be better quality than the last podcast, mainly because uh, we we were using the microphone, but we weren't entirely sure how to use it. Right. We put it in a less than convenient place. We were sitting in less than convenient places, and we had it set on a less than convenient mode as well. Mm-hmm. So all of those things conspired to make the last episode, as you will have heard, a little bit rough around the edges, shall we say. Yeah. And we were hoping that today we'd, we'd be able to make up for that. We had a nice little place for the microphone. We had the laptop on my lap. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had it set on the right mode. But it's cleaning up. So we couldn't use it. Hopefully the next episode, the next time you hear us, all will be good. I know we've said that for the last, the last how many? Seven episodes now? Yeah, we think we've been leading them on for too long now. They're getting blue balls. Yes. But... Um, we have a meal booked, don't we, for we the do. end of this episode? At quarter to nine, and it's ten past eight already, so we've got to, got to make a move on. Yeah, we're going to. Last episode went on a bit long, didn't it? So uh, yeah, we're going to try and keep this one a little bit more short and sweet. Yeah. Maybe beef it out with some of the uh, sound clips. So there we go. Sixty-seven percent. There we go. Brilliant. Now. So ham uh, done. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So the idea is obviously just you get it. We just talk about our favourite songs, and I thought um, loud car, loud, loud car, car, loud car, 
Anyway, so you know, basically, yeah, we we thought we'd um, so I thought I'd start with just some general sort of talking about um, uh, just music in general. I see George, you're a musician, uh, yeah, from for quite a long time. I think I think more than how many ten years now has it been. Uh, I started playing. Uh, I got my first guitar when I was on my I think it was my ninth birthday. So that would have been uh, what was no, tenth birthday. So yeah. 14 years ago yeah well time flies doesn't it yeah so but i only really started playing about yeah maybe 12 years ago and during that time have you ever not that you are not to get religious at this sort of time of the day but would would you say you've ever incorporated religious elements into your music no no that's the you know just straight out loader just without without any hesitation there. i think the thing is like music is my the closest thing i have to a religion i say well it it used to be cricket probably is now but like Music was oh, like Manic Street Preachers. Let's not get into that cricket, man. Honestly, we don't have the time right now. But uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you you could talk about you know how the how Imran Khan is the best cricketer in the world, and there is literally no one else who can compare to him. But that's another story. Um, okay. <laughs> um, well, certainly with my selection, really, the choice to incorporate religious elements was evident. Um, so, with you know, without any dilly dallying, I just wanted to introduce my choice for today. It's the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Uh, and the song is the Noonward Race. Song in inverted commas. Yeah. Well, we 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 will get to that. Now, to whoever was confused by, with what I just said, uh, just stick including with me. me. Yeah, including you, George. Stick with me. So this band, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, was a jazz fusion band which formed in New York City in 1971 mm-hmm. and it was formed by well it was led by the English guitarist John McLaughlin uh, but before I can delve into the universe that was created by this band it's important that we talk about old John here before John decided to create this group he had been instrumental no pun intended instrumental in the jazz scene in his own right he had I mean I was reading from a book that I was reading about the band, I just wanted to quote this. Uh, the, the quote the book. In 1971, John McLaughlin was on the brink of stardom. He had moved from London to New York in 1969, joining drummer Tony Williams. Tony Williams, a very famous in the jazz scene, joining Tony drummer Tony Williams's Lifetime group, and recording and performing with Miles Davis. Obviously, Miles Davis. Oh, yeah, yeah. No introduction. Jazz legend. This was a major accomplishment for the white Englishman. This 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 is all sick, by the way, for white Englishmen, and marked a turning point up until then. As up until then, the typical role of the British jazz musician was that of admiring, uh, of, of an admiring imitator, striving to keep up with the music coming out of America. Uh, we all know that jazz is a you know scene that was born out of the African African American community of New Orleans. Of course. So this is obviously we weren't us Brits weren't the first on the on the scene with this whole new no, genre. Definitely not. McLaughlin was different. He quickly became known as an innovator with a style entirely different from his forebears. Now, I, I can obviously go into too much detail about obviously how, how you know the, the albums that he went into, like like Bitches Brew and In a Silent Way by Miles Davis, mm-hmm. very 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 prominent jazz fusion albums. But to people familiar with these albums, you could say that before he, so I mean, before before he actually delved into. Um, this new orchestra and this new band of his, he was, you could say, almost say that he was well-versed himself in jazz fusion. But what is jazz fusion? What is, what is, it's not really a term that you come across often, is it, George? Um, not any, not, not 
great deal. No. You, you, I guess in prog circles, progressive rock circles, you hear it more because yeah. uh, the lines between the two, I guess, uh, are quite vague. Aye. But yeah, it's, 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 not, it's certainly not something that you hear in the mainstream. No, no, absolutely not. Obviously, we all know what jazz is. As I mentioned, it's from the African-American community in New Orleans, but and obviously that that scene has no explanation really it is it's displayed what the best of the community had to offer ranging from crashing and ecstatic high ecstatic highs to subtle and minimalistic lows jazz had it all then what of its sister jazz fusion is it not just jazz with extra steps well the lazy answer would be yes but just to give you a less lazy response jazz fusion was a, a genre that was developed in the late 1960s when musicians started to combine jazz harmony and improvisation with rock music mm-hmm. and funk and rhythm and blues uh, where a standard jazz band would you know use a piano and a double bass alongside its brass counterparts jazz fusion would swap those out and it would use uh, electric guitars synthesizers and bass guitars sure and obviously the fusion wouldn't stop there certainly later on obviously with john and his orchestra we would hear jazz being fused with Indian music, okay. Indian classical music. Right from the get-go of this new band, well, new at the time, I would say, the lineup was incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. We have Panamanian drummer Billy Cobham, Irish bassist Rick Laird, Czech keyboardist Jan or Jan Hammer, and American violinist Jerry Goodman. Does, okay. those, does those names sound familiar to you, George? Uh... Well, let me put it this way. Have you heard of that joke, of the, the classic joke, the, of the Englishman, the Panamanian, the Irishman, the Czech, and the American, at the, who you met in a bar? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. yeah. That's the joke, by the way. It's yeah, just, just, it's just some men walked into a bar. Yeah, because you'll never see them together, that's why. Ow. No, that, that's, that's literally the joke, you, this, you will never see them together, that's why. It's so <laughs> funny. Oh, you can tell I've uh, worked hard. On that joke, uh, you, you should be a professional comedian. Hey, well, I think that's probably next my next venture after this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like oh, everything's going down the tube right now, I could just just one final shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the joke, really. It was just with you know the fact that you, with the exception of this band, you will never see those people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to focus on the name of the band for a second, because at the time, John was a follower of the Indian guru Sri Chimoy. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it wouldn't be a far too far an extension to sort of you know say that he was embodying that sort of Hindu lifestyle in his music. Okay. And funnily enough, it was actually the guru who actually he coined the name, mm-hmm. Maha meaning great, and in, in Sanskrit and Vishnu meaning the Hindu deity Vishnu. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I don't really believe in that, but obviously it's just like a, it's, it's an idea that um, he put into the practice. Um. It's at this point, really, that I want to introduce the band's classic 1971 album, The Inner Mounting Flame, which was recorded and released in 1971. And obviously, my, my selected song, The Noonward Race. Now, we can say a lot about the song, certainly about the whole album, but put it simply, I would say here we have a mastery in musical performance. Mm-hmm. song does really not catch a break whatsoever, and from the start... Hits the ground running. We have Cobham, Cobham, Billy Cobham's drumming tighter than an otter's pocket. And yes, I did Google that. <laughs> tighter than an otter's pocket. Tighter than an otter's pocket. There was much more vulgar uh, phrases for that, but well, I don't want to use them. <laughs> tighter than a duck's ass. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess you know, tighter than an otter's pocket. We had McLaughlin's ferociousness on the guitar, and I mean. 
for someone who taught Jimmy Page, by the way. Oh, did he? He did teach Jimmy Page, but I've, I've led I didn't Zeppelin. know that. Yeah. yeah. If, if he, so you, you, and obviously Jimmy Page has again needs no introduction. Mm-hmm. The, the guitarist of Led Zeppelin. Uh, I would argue he's one of the more overrated guitarists. And you'd be beheaded for that. Um, <laughs> no. Just listen to. All right. If if you're familiar with Led Zeppelin, listen to the beginning of Hot Dog and tell me that that is a good guitar riff. That is a well-performed guitar riff. Listen to the solo in Over the Hills and Far Away. That is not a well-performed guitar solo. You anyway, so. that's a little little bit of a rant. Carry, well, carry on. Okay, we'll have to you know give, give that as a debate to our listeners. But yeah, um, but yeah. So he he taught um, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. So he's a quite you know you can tell from that fact alone that he's quite a you know, talented guitarist. Sure. <clears throat> Obviously, together with other band members, they produced this incredible swell of energy that is the Newmanwood Race. Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning. You have um, John from the get-go demonstrating his mastery at the guitar, together with Cobham's airtight drum skit with mathematical precision. And they bounce off each other with various licks. And you can really sense how talented they are with the way that they work together. Mm-hmm. You have the initial crunch of the guitar, which the, that John starts off with alongside Cobham's slick rhythm, and it really pumps your blood, really gets you in that you know energetic mood. It's really, I, you know, now that I mention that, it's really good for like working out at the gym for some reason. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I've, every time I put this on, it just really wants me to get well, those, those, those chords that are playing at the beginning. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm usually quite good at uh, dis- discerning chords when I hear them, but like they are very discordant. Oh, god, yeah. they might be like diminished something augmented with extensions I don't know what they would be but like they're very very harsh shall we just say that I call them crunchy crunchy and harsh like a like a crisp that has like a sharp edge and when you you put it in your mouth stings yeah I get that I get that and like when you or like a salt and vinegar crisp that has just too much vinegar in it yeah well I've never been a huge fan of salt and vinegar I'm more of a cheese and onion type guy oh me too me too yeah so I guess uh, I could. I know what you mean by the whole sort of crisp shape thing, just biting in. Like it gets you at the wrong angle, and then you think, you know what? You might as well just keel over. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's another. Story. And I think I think that was exactly what uh, John McLaughlin had in mind oh, when yeah. he was writing that. Yeah, no, that was, he literally wrote that down in his sort of uh, his notes. Yeah. Literally, it want, I want it to sound as if someone is biting, bitten into a crisp with excess vinegar, and it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. Yeah, I mean, you, you got hit the nail on the head there, John. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tune in for more. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, but yeah, so like I said, it really you know, pumps your blood up and it really sort of gives you that sort of energy. And obviously it doesn't stop there. We, we have a swelling into the violin by Jerry Goodman who plays with, with such ferocity and speed. It, it's absolutely jaw-dropping. And the way he plays it, it almost feels like he's playing in another instrument, instrument mm-hmm. uh, which reminds me of the first time I actually listened to it. I actually thought it was an electric guitar. Well, I think, I think it's, a vi- it, it, it's got to be an electric violin or a violin that has either been plugged in or has been mic'd up and put into an amp so that it just sound electrified, surely. Well, yeah, you say that. I mean, I did see the live version of this, and it, he was playing this as a violin. I assume it was the electric violin. It's mm-hmm. 1971. I don't know if they invented the electric violin by then, or would have been... I'd imagine they would have done, but I don't know. I, I, violin is not my area of expertise, I Likewise. Likewise. But regardless of that, his... The way he plays it, it's almost as if he's he's making it laugh at one point. The way it sounds, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just like, like he's like he's mocking us plebs for how bad we are at violin and our knowledge of violin. Uh, 
but what I like about the segment, and there are various segments in this piece, is Cobham's syncopation. I can't. I, I'll have to point it out to you later on. It's mm-hmm. like that bit where it goes. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, yeah. I, I'll have to point it out. Which it's just so tight, mm-hmm. and it, it just gives you that sort of extra level of speed. It's like you're putting it into fifth gear. Mm-hmm. And he starts off by, you know, allowing. He, he, he's kind of in the background to, to, to begin with Jerry's segment. He's in the background, just sort of, you know, playing alongside, but giving him that sort of space, Jerry, that space to you know really you know show off his um, his violin skills. But then he comes out with this out of nowhere, this really snappy performance, mm-hmm. which really brings it into fifth gear, like I said. And I remember getting goosebumps hearing it for the first time. It was just so mad. And that is as if that wasn't enough. We have you know Jan Hammer or Jan Hammer. Um, adding his two cents, carrying on the torch of playing an instrument so good that it no longer sounds like the instrument. Uh, and I don't know how he achieved it, but he made it sound like a pinball machine. Oh wow! It's just it's, it's crazy, and I I don't know if that's the thing that you know people will get when listening to it. But you know, if you do listen to it, you will understand what I mean. And if you happen to get the chance to watch the live version, you can see how sort of into it he gets. So, and I will say the live version he is tame in comparison to the recorded version. So. He must have been doing unmentionable things to that keyboard, <laughs> but never mind. But what I like the most about the song is, I would have to say, uh, the chorus. If there is even such a chorus in this is song. Is there a chorus? I mean, I, I, I want to call it the chorus. It's not, probably not a chorus, but but it's more of like a motive than anything else. Okay, yeah. Um, unless I'm mistaken by what the word is. No, 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 that sounds is. about right. Yeah. For those people who don't know, a motive is a short musical idea or a musical fragment that or succession even of notes that has some special significance in the composition, mm-hmm. uh, which is sometimes repeated. Like for the most, one of the most famous examples of that would be in um, the Symphony Number no. Five by Beethoven. Do 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 do. Do 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 do. That basic. That is a motive. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know any of any more famous motives, George. Well, the thing is, like, like, contemporary. Like, I often, it, I when someone says like mentions a guitar riff, then. I often think I often think of that as like a motif, motive, motif. Uh-huh. Uh, like you, you tend not to when when it's an instrument that's not a guitar, you you don't tend to use the word riff. Aye. But I think the way in which the word guitar riff is normally used in like the context of rock music, I think that's referring to a motif ah. of sorts. So uh, the first one that comes to mind is Iron Maiden's The Trooper. I don't know why that is. That is essentially... That's a motif. Oh, really? And the the bit that comes after it as well. I don't know why that came into my mind. Like, they're not one of my... They're not a band I listen to very much. Maybe it's because they released a new album. Did they? Which one? It's got a Japanese title. I can't remember what it is. Junjitsu? Is it? Anyway, that's not the most important album that's been released recently. We know that. Uh, we'll get on to oh, that in a bit. Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, I, I, I wait with, you know, patriotic fervour, whatever that is. <laughs> I, anyway, um... Patriotic <laughs> um, But that bit, it, you know, between each member's playing the, um... The, this is like I said. This motive is it, it goes in between each uh, individual member playing. Yeah. So you have the obviously the starting off with John McLaughlin's um, uh, guitar. Then you have this this motive. Then the, the violin. Then the motive. Then the keyboard. Then the motive. Mm-hmm. But I, and I like at one point they sort of play that motive over and over again. And it's I, I'm gonna have to point it out to you. It's that bit where it goes. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah. That I love that, and they they make it. At one point, they're, they're repeating it like eight times, ten times, twelve times. It's just, it's just so good. And um, 
you know, I, it's so catchy and exuberant, and it's just like that's one one of the main things I love about that song. It's just so sort of you know tight and air, you know, God, I can't really put my finger on it. But it's just <laughs> if you're hearing it, and once once you hear it, you're left wondering how hard it must be to perform, you know, in time with each other. Yeah. Uh, because it's like all five individuals at one point are playing like a one single entity. Yeah. And I mean, not really to be honest. From what I know of, not really easy to pull off. Uh, at least in the songs that I've heard. Um, and the concept of sort of bouncing off each other is unique. And as soon as I mention that, actually, now the, the, I, the first thing I think of is the first group that I think of is the Wu Tang Clan, okay, uh, rap group from the nineties. Obviously, not so much in the jazz world, but the fact that they were bouncing off, off each other's bars, yeah, you know, it gives the songs an extra level and extra level of energy. Mm-hmm. Same energy which was shown when the when they played the song the Numerous Race, um, when Mahavishnu Orchestra played this Numerous Race. But obviously, back to the song, having that sort of quality, it's really easy what, to make me appreciate music in, in its sort of natural, most raw form. Yeah. Having that sort of, you know, quality where you can bounce off each other and also play at the same time, mm-hmm. that's, you know, to, as if it's their one entity. And it just screams talent, determination and passion. And for a group that met in, what, July of 1971 and recorded subsequently and uh, released their album in November of the same year... Yeah. Which is how many months? That'd be July, August, September, October, November. Five, six months, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what we could do in two months, yeah. I don't think we could do much compared to that. I, I think, I think, I think. Well, with jazz, I think the case, the point is that you just go into the studio, and you, and you play. Basically, right. it's like it's it's not a lot of pop music nowadays. It's like constructed from the ground up. The recording is only one little bits of it then you add all the little different bells and whistles it goes through like a mixing and mastering all sorts of things you you might re-record bits and just I think the point with jazz music at least um, like jazz from many from decades ago is you'd go into the studio you'd just perform and if there are little imperfections that wouldn't really matter and you would just capture what you do in one session of several hours and then that would that would essentially make up the record. Right. I know with some of Miles Davis's stuff, you have uh, several albums that are compiled, if not wholly, then partially, of music that was recorded in one session. Ah. And that one session spawned like several albums worth, you know. Yeah, but they did that on Bitches Brew. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's the thing with jazz music. They're clearly such talented musicians, oh, God, unbelievably yeah. talented musicians. So they can go into the studio, they just do that. Uh, I, I don't know how much of that would be improvisation, but I mm. guess quite a fair bit of it. Must have been. And, you know, they record it, they have their session, and then that's done. So, like, it, don't, it doesn't really matter that they've only been together for, like, a handful of months because all they need is a few hours, I guess. Yeah, and they had their own experiences in their own life. Oh, well. yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like I said, it just it screams talent, and the ripple, ripples left by this band would be felt for years to come. And to this day, George, we have like a myriad of artists citing them as one of their main influences. Uh, the Mars Volta. Oh, yeah. Opeth. Yeah. Black Midi. I don't know if they're quite recent. I've heard of them, but I don't know. Uh, really. Dillinger Escape Plan. I've heard of them as well. They did a cover of Come to Daddy, which was pretty sick. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, do, other... I do like Mars Volta and Opeth. There we go then. Um, the only main thing I'd have to say, just to conclude, really, is that, which is, um, if I, you know, if you want to call it a disadvantage of the song, it's just I'd like to hear vocals on it. Mm-hmm. 
it would have been interesting to just you know find out who they chose for vocals yeah. and how they would incorporate that into that but that's just like a non-issue mm-hmm. it's a wholly instrumental album isn't it I, I believe so yeah. yeah so it'd be nice to know what would they, who would they I mean Elephant at Fitzgerald would have been pretty sick but again that's just me uh, long story short great song you should guys check it out um, when you have a chance if you like if you're into jazz fusion check out the whole album check out the whole back catalogue of John McLaughlin and even Miles Davis if you haven't well unless you've been living in a rock that shouldn't be a problem <laughs> but um, yeah so that's me 9 out of 10 great song give it a shout well thank you very much Hamdan thank you um, so yeah as I t- when you actually made this um, this song selection hey. I told you immediately oh I know that because mm-hmm. I, I actually listened to this album many many years ago um, we're talking like probably over, over a decade ago I'd say my dad recommended this album to me oh your dad's a legend and I'd never listened to any jazz or jazz fusion really at that point, and uh, I absolutely hated it. Because I, <laughs> I was used to the sort of like normal songs, right. pop songs, oh, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. So I'd never encountered this world of where, like, you got 45 minutes of just pure mental improvisation <laughs> with no discernible, like, choruses or uh-huh. things you can sing along with. So, like, oh, what is this? This is terrible. Yeah, bedlam. But um, the more I got into, like, progressive music, and uh, appreciated jazz for what it was. I think I occasionally came back to it a couple of times and garnered more enjoyment out of it. Though, uh, I must admit, I do still struggle a little bit with it. The, the way you've talked about it today makes me want to go back and listen to it more times. Uh-huh. But, uh, like, yeah, it's, it is incredibly intense. As you say, you, you don't get a moment's peace. Though that said, a lot of the stuff that I have brought to this podcast, you don't really get a moment's peace. So, like, Dirty, Bo- Dirty Boy's longer than this, and yeah. that doesn't really uh, give you any respite. Nope. Nor does, does uh, Genesis by Devin Townsend, which I'm going to mention again later, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think this is something that I'm going to have to listen to more times to get, like, to, 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 to garner full, more maximum enjoyment out okay. of, I think. Uh, the the performances are unbelievable. Uh huh. Oh yeah. I cannot stress how unbelievable, how unbelievably good those performances are. Uh-huh. Loud car, loud car, loud car, loud car, loud car. Loud car, loud car, loud car. Ah! So yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't really know what I can say about it. Like now, now that you're. Br- that you've brought up like the song structure I didn't really pick that out I I need to I needed to listen a bit harder so I'm going to go away and do that um but yeah it's like a 6 out of 10 for me at the moment because I just there's not much for me to cling on to I know this is not a very good reaction but when I listened to it I couldn't really think of anything to say apart from Bloody hell, they're good at their instruments. <laughs> and this is a wank fest. <laughs> <laughs> wank fest. Yeah. Brilliant. But uh, yeah, I will go away and listen to it again. And maybe in a future episode, I will I will give you some updated thoughts, you know. Because uh, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode, but like we episode five, we did uh, Heat Wave by Snail Mail, didn't Aye. we? Yeah, yeah. And I was very sort of on the fence about it, wasn't I? Yeah. And then after, when I was editing that episode, I was listening to the song again, and I thought, 
Yeah, this song is actually really good. Would you say that's you keeping your cards to your chest, or is it just literally just the fact that you want to keep no, no, time no, 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 no. What, what I said on the podcast was my genuine feelings at the time. Okay. Like this, I realised that with with subsequent listens, its quality was starting to really reveal itself. So yeah, and maybe the same will be true of uh, the Noonwood race. But uh, that is for a future time. As now we're going to talk about my song selection for for this episode. And uh, the band I have selected is none other than the Cardiff, the now probably defunct Cardiff-based band, Super Furry Animals. I never knew they split up. Well, they they sort of went on a hiatus that never really ended. Ah. You know, they went on hiatus, they went and did some side projects. They came together to do, like, one single around the time of, like, Euro 2016 Uh called... uh, Bing Bong. Bing Bong. And like, I struggle to call it a football song because the lyrics are like, or maybe maybe it is a football song, but the only thing, the only connection with football I can make is in the music video they're doing Keepy Uppies. Do you reckon that that's why we lost? Maybe. <laughs> I actually know because they're Welsh, aren't they? Oh, Wales. And Wales lost as well, didn't they? There we go then. Yeah. Uh, so, there we go. So, they, they are pretty much defunct, I think, at this point. I don't think they have any intense intentions to... I'm really, so, I'm really sorry to interrupt, John, but this is like probably the only time I can talk about this. Where I remember one guy he did a Scottish song for the football for the World Cup, where Scotland was the only time went into the World Cup like ages ago. Yeah. And he made a song called "Just Don't Come Home Too Soon." <laughs> sorry, you can continue. Just, that's the only time I could ever talk about that. That's why. Oh, well, thanks for that, Hamda. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hopefully they qualify again. I'd like to see them. Fingers crossed. But yeah, so Super Furry Animals. What can I say about them? Well, they formed in uh, Cardiff, as I said, in 1993. Yep. Uh, they are objectively. You know how much we love that word. Uh-huh. Or I do, anyway. They are objectively one of the three greatest Welsh bands in the world. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, the, the, the The other two being uh, Feeder and, of course, uh, Manic Street Preachers. Uh-huh. Can't forget them. Uh, if there are any Welsh bands that I've forgotten to mention, then uh, that probably means they're not as good. Uh, yeah. Well. I'm joking. I'm joking, listener. I'm joking. Relax. It's getting hot in here, isn't it? It's a bit stuffy. Do you want me to pull a window down? No. It's just like half no, no, we, we can't have people hearing what we're doing. Ugh, this is hell. Well, we ha- you have to suffer. There's no play- <laughs> There's no. There's no pain without gain without pain or whatever it I is. I just can't wait for the winter. Uh, oh, I say that. I can't wait for my off. dinner, actually. Oh, me too, man. That's the we, we should be there in eight minutes. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I need to hurry up, don't I? No, no, we just no. Take your time, George. We can get there for nine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, um, yeah, so. They're a Welsh band, obviously. They're one of my favourite Welsh bands. However, what they have that uh, separates them from the two other Welsh bands that I've mentioned is that they are actually primarily Welsh speakers, members uh-huh. of the band. Uh-huh. Uh, like like with Manic Street Preachers, English is obviously their first language. Uh, Feeder, well, only one member of Feeder is actually Welsh, but yeah, English is his first language as well. Uh, but... Welsh is the first language of the members of Super Furry Animals. Yeah. And although they primarily sing in English, they do have some 
Welsh songs ah. dotted about their discography, as well as one wholly Welsh album, wow. uh, that, which they released in 2000, called Mung, which means mane, as in a lion's mane. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and uh, I know in the last episode we spoke about like foreign language music, we spoke about Kent and uh, they sing in Swedish, and me learning Swedish Aye. as a result of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't done the same thing with uh, Welsh, Welsh and uh -huh. furry animals, because uh, Welsh is a considerably more difficult language to learn, I think, than Swedish. Aye. It's a, a Celtic language rather than Germanic. Uh, English is a Germanic language, so has more in common with the more distant Sweden than it does with the very nearby Wales. Yep. So uh, yes, there we go, that's, that, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's roughly about the band uh, as um, well, like as as people. That's their that's their background. But uh, as for the the band's material itself, they uh, started out in the uh, mid nineties with a couple of sort of fuzzy lo-fi power pop neo psychedelic albums. You nice. got Fuzzy Logic from ninety six, Radiator from ninety seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, both very critically acclaimed albums. And, uh, of course, we mentioned in previous episodes, around this time, Britpop was a thing. Yes. And they are often sort of cited... If you get, like, one of those awful compilation albums of, like, Britpop, like... With a Union Jack on the cover. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, there's all, like, about 40 songs on it. That, you'll probably get a Super Furry Animals song on there because they're British and they're pop and we're around at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and I guess there are some stylistic similarities you could sort of identify, you could fathom them, but they're very much on the fringes of the Britpop scene. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1999, when Britpop was... Uh, disappearing up its own arse. <laughs> uh, they released the album Gorilla. Gorilla, not as in the monkey, not as in the ape, but uh, as in the uh, fighters. fighters. Gorilla yeah, fighters. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was a lot more experimental, I think, a more sort of electronic. Right. Uh, but this didn't last very long, as in 2000, they released that Welsh album, Mung, and this saw them... Uh, oh, the lights have gone off. That's scary, isn't it, George? Oh, yeah, it is a bit. Oh, oh they're there back on. Oof. <laughs> that scared me, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, this album, Monk, saw them take a step back into a more sort of accessible, uh, sort of lo-fi pop sound. Yeah. But, uh, despite this, they always exhibited a wide variety of influences, as well as contemporaries. You know, they were inspired by, like, 60s pop. You could hear that. You could hear, like, Beatles and Beach Boys in their music and stuff like that. Sure. But you could, always, you could also hear, like, how they, had, they were similar... Uh, in a way to like blur bands like that, uh -huh. so who were around at the same time as them. So, yeah, and I guess Blur were also inspired by like 60s pop as well. But yeah, uh, they were always, um, always exhibited like a, a wide variety of influences and that made their sound really rich yes. and interesting to listen to. Like every time you put on a Super Furry Animals album, you'll hear something that you never noticed before and it's always a refreshing listen. Um, and that brings me, very neatly, onto their 2001 album, Rings Around the World, mm -hmm. uh, from which my song choice for today was taken. Yep. And I think this is the pinnacle of their career, at least in my opinion. It is an absolute opus, full of like cinematic, 
pieces that are just so wonderfully produced, uh, like leagues ahead of like the lo-fi pops, lo-fi pop and rock they were doing in their '90s albums. Like mm-hmm. it, it just takes the production to a whole new level. Nice. Um, and again, there's an even wider range of styles and instrumentation that you can hear on this album. Um, there's like pop-oriented singles such as uh, "It's Not the End of the World" and "Juxtapose with You." There are like zany psychedelic numbers like uh, "Sidewalk Surfer Girl." You've got these uh, slow, poignant ballads like "Alternate Routes of Vulcan Street" and "Run Christian Run," which is my second favorite track on the album. Brilliant title. And uh, you also have "No Sympathy." You remember that, don't you, Hamda? I was actually going to mention that in my bit of this segment. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? Let's just leave it till that because I really want to talk about that, and I don't want to sort of spoil it. Spoil okay, it at the moment. fair enough. But we're not going to talk about um, uh, no sympathy today no. because uh, we're going to talk about my favourite track on the album, yeah. which is track five, "Receptacle for the Respectable." Yeah. Now, I mentioned earlier I was going to bring in Genesis by Devin Townsend again. And the reason I do this is because I said that that song was like a microcosm of the album that it was on. Ah. And I'd say, I'd say the same thing about Receptacle for the Respectable. Because okay. it has so many different styles and moods going on that it basically reflects the whole album in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the song is basically split into, I would say, four discernible parts. Yeah. Despite the fact that it's only like four and a half minutes long, it's full of like tempo and rhythm changes that make it so exciting to listen to, yeah. in my opinion. Like, well, from the get go, it doesn't hang around, it just gets straight into it. Like, the first bar, the vocals come in, Absolutely, you know. Yeah. And due to the fact that it's moving about so quickly, moving into these different sections without really sort of hanging on to one for too long. The song just doesn't repeat itself or outstay its welcome. Um, it's it's really sort of... It's, you, you could definitely call it progressive because they're definitely pushing the boundaries of not only uh, their own sound, but of music as well. Like, it's, it, it's, it's... I think it sits alongside songs like Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, as well as... Uh, a song like Knights of Sidonia by Muse, for example, yeah. where they have, like, it's one song, but then there's different passages within it, although you ne- wouldn't necessarily say that they're separate. They're, they're, all, they're all intertwined, but they're all, they all have their own sort of identity. Yeah. Um, and as I, I mentioned that the album is very cinematic, and this song contributes to that, really, because, like, passing through all these different sections... It's like it's almost like you're watching a movie. Yes. The way you're coming into these things, all the plot, yeah. the plot begins to unravel. You should actually watch the music video for this. It's animated. It's really off the wall. Yeah, it's wacky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've seen it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fair enough. And it actually ends with like the album cover, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, it's um, yeah. So that ties in with like the cinematic nature of the album, and then at the end you've got this really unexpected crescendo 
with death growls. Yes, I was going to say you, that. You, I, I think if you'd heard the first four Super Furry Animals albums, you think, if there's one thing I know Super Furry Animals will never do, it's death growls. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. Yeah. Here they are. <laughs> so, yeah, just when you thought that they couldn't get any more progressive, they throw in the death growls. Well, that's, that's the pinnacle of death but, yeah. progressive. Um, so, yeah, uh, some other things that I really love about this song is the harmony, like the chord progressions and yep. stuff. They're so, they're really sophisticated, they're really great, like lots of uh, borrowed chords. Borrowed chords being chords that contain notes that aren't typically in the scale relating to what the key of okay. the song is. So, if, if a song is in. So many songs do this, and it's really great when they do. Like, if a song, for example, is in C major and there's a chord in the song that contains a note that's not in the C major scale, you'd call that a borrowed chord. Mm-hmm. Loads of songs use borrowed chords, but uh, this song does it a lot and really effectively. Sure. And uh, another thing that is just so great about this song is the like the extremely varied instrumentation. Like, for example, you've got an organ, as well as the, like, the typical rock and pop instruments like guitar and drums, you've got like an organ, got harmonica mm-hmm. you have like brass in the background yes it plays like a little fanfare in the first section and then some wonderful vocal harmonies particularly in the um the second section where they're all like singing individual vocal lines that all seem to that they don't clash but they're all very unique in a way but they all seem to work very well together got some jazzy keyboard which actually mm. reminded me of one of the songs we did in the last, last uh, episode the um Bad, bad, not good. One. Yes. Yeah, Had some yeah. very, very twinkly, jazzy keyboard in yeah. it, and we've got some of that in this song as well. And uh, there is actually, I don't know, Hamda, I don't know if you've uh, how much research you've done around this song, mm-hmm. but there is a cameo performance ah. on this song by one of the most famous musicians to ever grace the planet. Uh, Did you know about this? I, I was not aware. Oh, well, I'm very, very surprised that you didn't, actually, because it's one of the most, um, obviously, one of the most famous and easily recognisable musicians ever there's ever been. Michael Jackson? Not quite, but he's worked with Michael Jackson. Uh, none other than Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. He features people. in this song. Did you, not, did you not hear him? I, no, now that you mention it, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think I have. But I, I no? Think. Well... In the third section of the song, you know, the, the slower... He's not the, the death metal growl, is he? No, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say. That would be good. That would be funny, yeah. No, no, no. In the third section of the song, there is what sounds like sort of water running uh-huh. or like a tap trickling. Is that him? Well, the thing is, it's not water flowing at all, but it's actually Paul McCartney chewing celery. <laughs> of course. Of course. Why not? If you look at these album credits, it's like, I don't know, Bruce Reese, vocals, guitar, uh, whatever the keyboardist name is, and you've got Paul McCartney, Celery. <laughs> what a guy, what a guy, fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, that's just the rich instrumentation of this song extends to 
vegetables. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta go to, go with your veg every now and then. You know what they say, you, you find yeah. a day, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just put in music. Uh, so yeah, and then just to wrap it up, you've got this siren-like electronic noise in the chaotic final minute, uh-huh. which is, uh, as I was as I, I was gonna say, how akin that was to uh, many of the tracks on the album, including No Sympathy. But you've yeah. hinted that you want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, just, just for a moment, yeah. So uh, you will. So uh, that I want to wrap it up. That I've just basically spoken about all the different features that I love about this song. Uh-huh. Go and listen to it if you will. It's like I'd say it's like a modern-day Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just... A, a musical journey. I, I know it's a corny expression, but like, yeah, it's just a really fantastic, brilliantly written song. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just go and check it out. It's, it's. I love it so much. So uh, I'm just going to hand it over to you, Handan, quickly. What are your uh, thoughts of this song? And tell us about uh, No Sympathy as well. Yeah, so I was going to say. Check that song out as well, but afterwards. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just check out the whole album if you want to. Oh yeah, so. check it. It's a, it's a, it's. It could be a ten out of ten album. It, it's just so, so varied and so, just twists and turns everywhere. It, yeah. it, every track is something new. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go for it, hand Yeah, down. but look, let me just say first. You know, this is not the first time. As obviously you've shown me this band obviously, mm-hmm. with this whole no, no sympathy song. That was just a mind bend, <laughs> honestly. Because it starts off. I, I don't know if this is typical super fairy animals. It starts not off really. That, it starts off normal, it's like... It's like uh, a bluesy sort of yeah. dark acoustic number. Yeah, but it sounds, it sounds off, starts off natural, right? It starts off, it starts off, it starts off like a, as like... As natural as it can with lyrics like, you deserve to die. Yeah, okay, you like... deserve... Yeah, okay, we, aside from the lyrics, the whole musical sort of... It sounds fine. Yeah. And then it just descends into chaos. Yeah. With this weird synth, like, like bouncing synths and just... Oh my god, I, I can't really describe it. It's it's at the same level as Mindbenders, kind of like a come to daddy. <laughs> but it's just it's it. I don't know if they did it for a meme. I really think they did it for a meme. Well, if they did, then it's uh, it didn't get very far. Uh, it's, it's far from one of their most uh, well-known tracks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. It's, it's it's just so wacky, and it goes from sort of normal to sort of gradual. But I don't know if, it, like I said, I don't know if it's typical super fairy animals, but it just builds into this absolute chaos and bedlam. Well, a few a few tracks that, like this one do have a crescendo, but not yeah. to that extent. No, 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 no. Uh, but I'd say for the song that you've chosen today, George, receptible for the respect, which is that is a tongue twister and a half. That is, <laughs> but the song like kind of reminds me uh, stylistically in the same sort of sense as uh, Paranoid Android by Radio. Oh yeah. Oh, that's another good example. Actually. Yeah, it's like it's the same like sense because it's like an old. With Paranoid Android, that's like an alternative rock triptych, that is. Yeah. So it just gave me the same... And you mentioned four parts. I I like discern three parts, but that's mm-hmm. just me. Um, first, I mean, if, if we're splitting it up, in, if I'm splitting it up into the three parts from what I can remember, the first part sounded very much like um, Kaiser Chief's Ruby. Okay. Did, did you get that? No. 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 I, I, I The first time I heard that, I was like, this sounds very Ruby-esque. Okay. But that's just me. And then the second segment, you have something that sounds like it would come off Pink Floyd's The Wall. With okay. Okay. Like, like, you're looking at me all confused, but uh, uh, you're not getting into this. If it were to remind me of Pink Floyd, it would be more sort of Dark Side of the Moon era, I think. But like, Maybe it's just, just me. But then you have the ascension, like you mentioned, the ascension and the climax into what sounds like death metal, death metal growls and this electronic mashup. And 
even though it's kind of sort of sound, even we have a lot of songs that sort of build up into this crescendo and such, and you know yeah. I like how, how much of a huge fan I am of that. Um, here it kind of sounds gimmicky. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And obviously, this song is a hodgepodge of various musical genres. I mean, similar in the sense, as you mentioned, like Devin, Devin Townsend. Yeah. And as an artistic piece, it's certainly something one can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely sounds like something that the band took some time to produce. I can. Yeah. Yeah, like with like with um, with Newman Race, it must have taken them some time. Just, I mean, obviously they're talented performers. I assume mm-hmm. Super Fairy Animals are talented as well. Uh, but for me, personal enjoyment, I'd say about five out of ten. Oh really? Yeah, it was. That's surprising. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest. I'll be honest, with you. but like like I said, like like you, George. Maybe I'll give it some repeated listens and mm-hmm. it might rise to a six mm-hmm. eventually over a few years. Mm-hmm. But um, well, um, yeah, I, mean, I think yeah, personally, it wasn't awful, mm-hmm. but it didn't blow me away. So okay. for me, that's just. Well, um, I just quickly to wrap up because we are late for our uh, Latin American meal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But um, get my socks on. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like this song is the thing. I think I was introduced to this song when it first came out, like around two thousand and one. Uh-huh. I think I. You were four yet. Yeah, I think because uh, I know when my parents had a tape of like all the new music for that. It's how I first heard uh, uh, "Last Night" by The Strokes. Oh, tune. And uh, I know "Any Day Now" by Elbow was on it. Ah. And a couple of other things. I think they were all from two thousand and one. And so this song must have been on that play on that tape as well. Sure. Cassette like. That's that's how old we're talking, <laughs> but um, yeah, I swear it was on it. So I, I swear I knew. So when I actually d- explored Super Furry Animals discography, yeah, I had that added sort of boost of when this song came on. I was like, I know this. And when, when you when Nostalgia. you re- yeah when you recognise a song that you weren't expecting to recognise, for me at least, that automatically gives it a big boost. Yeah. So it's partially aided by that, but I just think it's a, just a wonderful pop song that is really pushing the boundaries of what super furry animals can achieve and i'm certainly inspired by it and i think maybe with future listens it will grow on you like heatwave did for me but uh hamdan are you hungry i'm starving and i'm hot and i'm tired so uh let's uh say goodbye to the listener goodbye listeners see you goodbye listeners and uh yeah we'll see you again for a future podcast episode hopefully with a fully functioning laptop yes there we go thank you bye